I'm excited uh, to open the word of the Lord this morning. I'm excited for the word that the Lord has put in my heart. If you've been with us on a journey through the past couple of weeks, we've been speaking about the church. We've been talking about God saying and Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's been such a great journey to truly understand what Jesus meant in that statement. And that we can be on the confidence that he is busy building and that we are overcomers. And this morning, I believe the message that is placed on my heart will be a continuation uh, to that of some sorts, because we're going to speak about our part that we play. And this morning, I'm titling my message, The Grace for Growth. The Grace for Growth. To some degree, my message this morning is really an end-time message, I believe. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, and there's a parable about uh, the, the ten virgins, and now five of them had enough oil and were staying awake for the arrival of Jesus, of the bridegroom, and the five of them, the Bible actually said, uh, were drowsy and they slept. So if you're feeling drowsy and sleepy this morning, quickly fill your lamp with oil <laughs> so that you can hear the word of the Lord this morning, because I'm noticing some uh, drowsiness in the room, and I hope that my preaching will help you be revived for what God wants to say to us as a community this morning. Are there any home improvement reality TV show fans in the room? Anyone? That's quite a lot. Okay. Great. Are there those of you that kind of just you don't like that at all? Like, so there we go. Thank you for the honesty. We've got two brave gentlemen who said yes. Um, the latest one on Netflix is called Instant Dream Home. Instant dream home. I hear some shouts. And in true Netflix style, it is completely over the top. It is overt. It is ear splitting because it's so noisy. The presentation goes down to the root of my core. I'm like, please just tone it down a little bit. And the whole premise is this, that there's some deserving family who goes out for the day and they come home 12 hours later and their whole house got turned around and flipped into something completely new. It's quite bizarre, right? In 12 hours, I'm not going to ask any questions, <laughs> but I will enjoy some family time watching it with the girls. And a team of 200 people come onto the property and with lavish, unmerited, massive amounts of just generosity, they turn this house around. But the real key is this, that there's an urgency upon them to turn it around because come seven o'clock at night, they know the owner of the home is coming back and then this house has to be ready. They've got all they need. It's being bankrolled by Netflix. <laughs> There's no end to what they're spending and they're going to turn people's homes into an instant dream home. But you know what? There's another reality that's far greater than any Netflix project. And that's the project of God's home. And if there has to be an urgency in our hearts, it's not seven o'clock tonight to try and rush and do something instantly. But we've got to carry, and we're going to hear in Jesus' words in a moment, this desire to get the house ready for him. To be a bride ready to receive him. To be a church ready to welcome her bridegroom to be a people set apart for his purposes, so that when he returns, and unlike the story in Netflix, we don't know when it is, but he comes back, 
and he looks at this project that we are all a part of, and he is delighted because he has given his people the ability to make this happen. How do we make this happen? Well, here's the good news this morning. You have been graciously gifted. You have been graciously gifted. I want you to turn to your neighbor and not just say this unless you look at them and you think that there might be a little bit of truth in there, but look them in the eye and believe it when you say that, that you have been graciously gifted. Go for it. Wow, you guys are so full of faith this morning. Okay, great. Now, the, now there's the other conversations. I know how this goes. Is there anyone that felt any stir of faith when that was said to you? Anyone? Be honest. You see, you guys are doing a terrible job. Can I try this again? Look at your neighbor in the eyes and say, you are talented. <laughs> Woo, now, this is interesting. Some of, you, some of you have some doubts whether that's even true. Some of you might have doubts looking at the person and telling them that. <laughs> but you know what? We don't do things according to how we feel as Christians. Feelings last a little while. We don't do things according to what we see. <laughs> we do things according to the Word. And when I open the Word of God, and when I think about the church, and when Jesus looks at us, His people, He looks at us and says, you guys are talented. You guys have been graciously gifted with every spiritual blessing in heaven for you to do the work that I've called you to do. So let's read together the word of the Lord this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I hope they're here. Please open up to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be reading the parable of the talents. And as I said, this is an end time message because Jesus has his last big moment with his disciples. He pulls them apart on the Mount Olive and he spends time with them just before all the action is taking place that's taking him to death on the cross. And this is his last big discourse, his last moment of teaching to his disciples. And they asked him, please tell us what the end of the age will be like. It's important to notice where the parable sits. That Jesus is saying, I'm going to talk to you about talents. I'm going to talk to you about the gifts that you receive in light of my return and the end of the age. He speaks about the signs of the end. He does say that no one knows. If any of you have ever read about someone that believes they know, just laugh it off because no one knows. No one will ever know. Jesus didn't even know. He said, my father in heaven knows. So anyone else that claims that they know, false prophet, just a little hint there. Side note, I've got some people that have been going back or being picked up by Jesus for 10 times already and they still believe, sorry, I got the date wrong. Like, yeah, either you or the Lord is bipolar here because I don't know. Definitely not him, so it must be you. <laughs> but we don't know, guys. Jesus said it. We don't know when he's coming back. And it's interesting how we want to get stuck into end time conspiracies and theories and ideas. And Jesus, when he was asked about the end times, he just said, you know what's more important than all these things? It's how are you living? Is your lamp full? Are you awake? Are you ready for my return? And are you building my house? So let's read together. Matthew chapter 25, starting verse 14. And he speaks about the return of himself at the end. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the house, uh, <clears throat> now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you, had, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, yeah, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I pray as we look at the urgency of this message, Jesus, that you spoke to your disciples. And you would speak to each one of us this morning according to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to make a few comments on the passage we just read. It starts off by saying that the master gave to his servants each to his ability. It's important to know that in God's kingdom and in God's economy, and by the way God designed the world, he has given each a different ability. We are not meant to be in the business of comparing abilities. Comparison kills our calling. When we walk around comparing the walk that we are on with the Lord with what other people have or what other people do, we're going to miss the whole point. He's given to them each according to the ability that he wanted to give them. And that takes a little bit of pressure off, right? To know that God decided that each one of us has to do a certain work for him and have certain abilities to use for his kingdom. To know that Byron has got a different ability to... Kathy has a different ability to Alrika back there, has a different ability to Armand up front here. All of us, different abilities, and the master determines that, and he gives that. And then he gave them a talent. Now, this was physical money. A talent back in the day was approximately, and I hope I did my maths right. I didn't call Skulk to make sure that it's right. But it's approximately 25,000 days wage is what he gave. So the one guy, he gave five times that. To the second person, he gave twice that. And to the guy who got the least, at least he's got 25,000 days worth of a wage. That's 68 years of living, guys. 
That 68 years of living to the guy who got the least. And you know what that really speaks about to me? Is that even in the least, man, we've gotten so much grace from God. Even the one with the least abilities, and let us not be the ones to measure ability. Let that be up to him. But even that, what a beautiful thing that God has graced us with this gift. Our abilities are his grace gifts to us. Saying that again, our abilities are his grace gifts to us. It's not something that we get to figure out and, and, and make happen. It is a gift that God has bestowed upon us, his servants, and he being the master. It's interesting also the language that Jesus uses. He speaks about servants and a master. And you know what? We don't like that word much. Anyone agree? We don't want to be called servants. But guys, just a little wake-up call, that's what we are. Right at the beginning when God created, he created the world. And then what did he do? He created human. And what did he do with human? He placed him within this world as under regents, as priests, as people to work the world, as servants unto a master. That is part of our identity as the people of God. We are servants of the most high God. And when I say that, that's not coming against what we also are, which is sons and daughters, it's not the one or the other, we are both. It's not coming against that we are his chosen people, a royal priest to the holy nation. It is all of that together. It's not an anti-grace message to say that I am a servant of God. We are called to be servants. We were created in our identity to serve him. That's who we are as his people. It's also not a reciprocation of what he has given us. We don't serve him because he has done so much for us. We do it because we love him. We do it because Jesus has been revealed to us. We do it because this master is a gracious one that lavishes talents upon us, his people. Our abilities are his grace gifts to us. It's given without any work. It is a free gift. It is grace, and we get to receive it. But then also, our ability grows his property, and his property is the church. The master went away. And he came back and he needed to see that his estate has grown. And in Jesus' eyes, when he shared this parable, he said, I am going to bestow upon you talents, grace. I'm going to give you gifts and you be better at my work. Focus on my work. Do my work. And my work is about establishing my kingdom in this world through the church. Can we try that again? Through the that's us. Look across the room. The property that we are building is the church. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The question I want to ask this morning is, are you leaving or filling gaps? If we, the church, are being built up as a spiritual house, are you leaving or filling gaps? Next slide. Someone was just leaving a gap there. I just made sure we filled it up with the slide. <laughs> so imagine this to be the spiritual house that God is busy building. You know, some of us think it's okay to say, hey, there's, there's quite a lot of people. I'm going to remove myself and not be part of this. I'm okay with leaving a gap. And then there might be another one doing that. And after a little while, you've been... You know, I've done my part, I've served, I've given, I've used my talents. I think it's time 
for me to remove myself. Uh, there might be another gap that we want to fill. Ah, oh, leave empty. Like, yeah, there's enough people still on top of us, so I'm going to take this down. And you guys know the story. I can keep doing this, and at some point, what will happen? The house will crumble, right? The opposite side of the spectrum is to say, hey, you know what? Man, I see an opportunity there to fill a gap. Is Gina seeing an opportunity to fill a gap to come and help me? And Donnie saw an opportunity to fill a gap this morning. Thanks, Eugene. You can fill the gaps for me. I see an opportunity to fill the gap. And all of us are either on one or the other side. And we vacillate. Sometimes we're like in gap-filling mode. You know what? Yes, boom. I'm now going to use my talents maybe for the next six months. And I'm going to be filling gaps. And then after a while, oh, you know what? It's Friday night. It's movie. It's horizontal time. I am going to leave some gaps. Someone else can do it. Someone else can pick it up. But the moment all of us do our part, the house is at the strongest. Because this thing is pretty rock solid the way it is. That's not going to tumble. Might be if we've got some kids dancing around hitting the table. But for now at least, it's not going to tumble. And in his estate, the church, we've got to realize that the church is only at its strongest when all of us play our part. When all of us do our bit. Where we don't live in this old school thinking that the church is run by professionals and attended by some people that want to sit in the pews. God has given each one of us abilities and there's a master coming back. And do we carry the urgency that seven o'clock is coming and the house has to be ready. So I am going to play my part. He gave us a message. He gave us a mission and he gave us a design. The message is go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them about the things of Jesus, to cross the gospel, run with this gospel. And now, now that you've got this message, I want you to run to all the world, to all the nations. And when you are out there, what is the design? Plant churches, build the body, build the body, establish the body, come together and be a spiritual house put together. But you know what I love about the Lord he is so gracious that he didn't only give us a message and a mission and a design. He literally gave us everything we need to fulfill it. Everything we need to fulfill it, he's given us. There's no lack. Every single thing we need in every nation, Helderberg, to see the purpose of God fulfilled through this church in this community is given to us. He has not held back at all. The question is, have we maybe? Have we maybe taken that and say, I'm going to kind of park it there? Or are we saying, God, thank you for the two things you have given me to do. Man, I'm going to work this. I'm going to see this doubled. Or thank you for the five. Or thank you for the one. Or thank you for the nine. Whatever it might be, are we making sure that we are filling the spaces that we need to see this body strong? So I want to speak about three graces. Remember, it's the grace to grow. It's the grace from God that enables us to grow into the spiritual house that he needs us to be. Three graces. The grace of spiritual gifts, the grace of provision, and the grace of community. Let's talk about the grace given spiritual gifts to steward. We have grace given spiritual gifts to steward. Each one of you have received a gift from God and you ought to steward it. I think about this often in my own life. Lord, am I stewarding well? 
And this is what the parable is all about. The master has given me his servant things to do. Am I doing this well? Am I using those spiritual gifts which is given by his grace to steward in a way that I see his church strengthened? Romans 12 verse 5 to 6 says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. It's by grace that we have gifts. It's not because we are so olak. It's by grace that God has enabled leadership in this church. He's given the church leadership by grace. It's a gift. And those leaders ought to make sure they steward it well. It's by grace that we have musicians singing on Sunday morning. He's given this church musicians so that we can sing and worship. It's by grace that there's people here who loves to systematize and organize. And we think somehow that that's less spiritual. As if God is so different. He's given us this world and everything in this world, if we would like to look at it, could be spiritual. It's a spiritual act of worship to put programs into place. It's a spiritual act of worship to plan. It's a spiritual act of worship to say, God, how are we going to budget to build this church in a way that brings glory so that this thing can grow? What I love about this scripture is that we are members that belong to one another. And this is the image that we got here. All of these blocks are connected to one another. And again, we can remove ourselves, but the moment we do, there's a gap. Then we have, st- we, when we stop our belonging, we, we create a gap, and the others aren't experiencing the full benefit of this complete body that God wants to grow. Eugenia, it's fine. I'll manage from here. And then, this is important as well. Romans 12 says that He's given us different gifts, each according to to the grace that he has given us. Different gifts. Sometimes what happens in, in the church world is, I've been gifted with the gift of, give me a gift, anyone? Prophecy. So I'm part of the church and I've been given with the gift of prophecy. And now I want the whole church to focus on this gift, right? And if we do that and we pull on that gift alone, what will happen? The house will start becoming skewed and it will tumble. Or I've been given the gift of mercy. I love feeding people who's hungry out in the community. Now I want the entire church to focus on this gift. Or I might have been given the gift of teaching, so I just want Bible school running the whole time, every time. Everyone's got to be taught every single time, and that's all we do. You see, there's different gifts, and we've got to celebrate that God has made us like that. And in the same breath, we should not make our gift or elevate our gift to be greater or more important than the others. Because the moment we do, the body starts feeling it. It becomes uncomfortable. Because all of a sudden I'm not as holy or as doing it as much as I need to because person, mercy is expecting of me to do more giving to the needy. But that's your gift. Go live it out. What we also do is when you, once you realize that gift and you've identified, you want the church to systematize it and to own this new idea that you have. But go and live it out. And you'll find like-minded people that might be gathering around you saying, hey, I love what you are doing. Can I be a part of that? That's how we ought to live. We should not be elevating gifts one against the other, and we should not make our gift the ultimate. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, these are some of the spiritual gifts, and you know what I want? I want you to desire it, and for you, Corinth, especially that you may prophesy because you need a healthy understanding of the gift of prophecy. It didn't mean that that is a greater gift than any of the others. 
Because in God's wisdom and in his grace, he has given us so many gifts. Let's read the list. This is biblical, spirit-given gifts. The gift of administration. Who says amen? Are you admin people who said that? Or are you just saying thank you that they are admin people? (laughs) The gift of administration. Sure, Jesus, thank you for Ricky Farrah. Huh? Can we give Ricky Farrah a cheer this morning? (laughs) If Jesus had to call someone up to heaven to administrate the second coming, it would be Ricky Farrah. The gift of apostleship, pioneering new ground for the kingdom, breaking new ground, going ahead and saying, let's go and plant some more churches. The gift of craftsmanship, creativity. This, in fact, was the first gift right in the beginning in Exodus when they needed to put up the temple, the tabernacle. The first gift that we see was given by the Spirit was the gift of creativity. We should celebrate that. We've got so many creatives in this church. If you're a creative and you want to do more for church, come speak to me afterwards. There's a lot that you can help with. Creativity, another gift from the Spirit, the gift of discernment, the gift of the evangelist, not evangelism. Each and every one of us are responsible to share the gospel message to people around the world. But God has uniquely gifted some with the gift of the evangelist. It just oozes out of them. When they, amongst lost people, lost people get saved. And then they help the church to understand how to be evangelizing. The gift of exhortation. Who of you have ever received a hug from Pete Miller? Would you call that exhortation? That's great. Some people might not, Pete. We've got to talk about that. But that's okay. (laughs) The gift of exhortation. He just looks at you and says, how are you, buddy? And you feel better. The gift of faith. Faith for God to do massive and big things, and that consistent faith. When I think about Uncle Joseph and Tony Lorraine, man, there's a gift of faith on that couple. The gift of giving. We all have to give, but some people really has a gift of giving extraordinary to the work of God. The gift of healings. This is something I've been trusting God for. There's been two gifts that I've been try- crying out to. Gift of healings and gift of miracles. Quick testimony. Two weeks ago, I shared the gospel with someone at the Shell Garage um, after... I saw that he's got a scarf around his face. And I asked him, hey, are you all right, buddy? And he said, no, he's got toothache. I said, hey, let's pray. So we prayed, and he said, it feels better. I said, let's pray again. So we prayed a second time. He says, it feels much better. I said, well, much better is not good enough yet. Can we pray a third time? And by the third time, he took off his scarf, and he was completely in awe that he's completely healed in that moment. The great news is that he stays around the corner from Pastor Siabulela, who now leads our church in every nation, Kailicha. Pastor Linda arrived on the scene, shared the gospel with him, and then we connected him with Pastor Siabulela, and he's now with them in church. The gift of healings, the gift of helps, being there to help, being there to, to add. I love it when people say, how can I help? What can we do to help? The gift of hospitality, oh, that's amazing. When you walk into a place and you just feel like the table is set, Man, I love to be here. The gift of intercession. We've got amazing intercessors in this church who prays for this church without you guys even knowing. Many of the times I don't even speak about it, but they are praying daily for this church. The gift of knowledge, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, to see people in suffering and have compassion with them, to suffer with them and lead them from their suffering to better places. The gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, the gift of the pastor, the gift of the prophet, the gift of prophecy, two different things. Like the evangelist and evangelism, you get prophets who's been gifted as a prophet. But then prophecy is a spiritual gift that many of us can practice. The gift of service, 
This morning, this venue was being prepared by a man who carries the gift of service in his house, Marcel back there, who's been doing this for 18 years. And somehow, somehow we've created a list of more and less spiritual. But do you know how spiritual it is to serve? Because that's what Jesus came to do. Can we celebrate all these gifts in the same way? The gift of teaching, the gift of wisdom. You've got to discover your gift, and like these guys in the parable, you've got to use it. How do you discover your gift? There's many ways. I believe the Holy Spirit will give it to you, and you'll know, but this is a very simple way, even this morning, that you can think about it. If you look at that list, your gift is probably that thing that you do naturally that brings others and you a sense of life and joy. Your gift is that thing that you do naturally, that when others are around, you're like, man, yo, I also want to help the needy. Man, you know what? I've got to administrate my business a little bit better after having that conversation. Man, you know what? I have faith. I've got faith when I heard his or her stories. We've got to see what our gifts are, and he's given us so many. Can we as a church be faithful with all the gifts of God? Can we now, in our hearts, not elevate any of these above the others, but treat it in a way that we say, yes, God, it is clear that there's a five-fold gifting that you've given a church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, but as the saints, whatever gift your spirit wills, we'll take it and we'll be faithful with it. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12, since you are eager for the gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. This is Paul speaking to Corinth again, saying, hey, you want those gifts. Here's what I want to do. Really try your best to excel in those that build up the church. Many of these gifts have personal applications in our own walk with Jesus. But Paul says, I want you to focus on those that helps to build the church. Try to make those a little bit more effective, a little bit more on the go. Make it happen. So the first grace is the grace given Spiritual gifts that we have received to steward. Again, he's given us the grace to grow the house of the Lord. The second one is that we have grace-given provision to share. Grace-given provision to share. Grace-given finances. It's not your university degree and it's not your employee that has given you the ability to receive finances. You've got to go back to the level of God has given you ability. And if you were so privileged, because many aren't, to find a university degree, and because of that are in a position, it's by His grace. It's His grace that's given you ability to think like an engineer or to think like a musician, to be able to make music or whatever it is. Not that the musicians make a lot of money, but anyway, not going to go down that route but again, it doesn't matter because we just learned that Jesus said he gives to people different graces, different abilities, each to their own measure as he wills. So we've got to understand that whatever provision we have today because of our work is by grace and it's by grace alone. Do you live like that or is it, wow, look at me, cum laude, in my fourth year, I'm going down my honors, this is going amazing and I've been offered 10 jobs. Oh, that's great. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from him. Do you know what it's for? It's to build his property. It's to do his work. That's all it's for. Because when he comes back, 
He's not going to say, Woo, look at this bankroll. Man, you invested well. He's going to say, hey, have you built my kingdom? Have you stewarded this in a way that my property and my estate have grown? Have you invested in a way that people's lives have changed? Can I get an amen on that? Your talent was free. Your ability was free. Anything you earn is a free measure of His grace. And yes, hard work pays off. And we spoke about that in our series on the war on wisdom. So I don't want to speak about that too much. But I do want to talk about money for a moment. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't talk about money much in this church. When was the last time we had an offering message? Anyone can recall? No one. Great. Because we can't remember. Because it hasn't been for months. <laughs> maybe for years. And I know some people ask, has, have asked before, maybe you don't think about that. Maybe you think, thank goodness there's no offering messages. But one of the reasons we as a leadership felt to not talk about money every single week is because I believe if you follow Jesus, you'll give. It's as simple as that. It's out of a love relationship for him that my giving is, 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 is taking place. And why would we want to talk about money and giving every week? Like We can talk about it every now and again, but can I have permission to talk about money for a moment? Because if that's a grace-given gift of provision, but it's used in the proper way to build his church, we've got to talk about that. He is a good master that provides everything we need to establish his estate in this world. He has all the resources in the world. If you think Netflix has a bankroll, you've got to see God's. <laughs> if we understand what he owns and who he is truly, we would not even be phased when we talk about money because it all belongs to him. God owns it all. So here's a question. If his estate, if his building, if his church is not growing in its proper way, is it the lack of his provision or is there something else wrong? Think about that. If it's not growing the way it's meant to, is it the lack of his provision or is something else wrong? You see, we often settle in this idea that nah, maybe it's a season. Maybe it is a season. But maybe the people of God is just not stewarding the finances he entrusts to them right. We know as a leadership it's a season for us to find a building. For 18 and a half years we've been homeless. And by God's grace we've been able to rent in amazing places like this. Now you might ask the question, but why, Pierre? Why do we want a building? Tell us, what, what is a building all about? Well, you know what? There's many reasons why we want a building. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the vision for that. But we want a place where we can have a footprint within this basin, where people know they can call it home, where we are able to train leaders week in and week out because we want to raise an army that's going to plant churches into the rural parts of South Africa, into the Eastern Cape, into the townships around us. Kailicha doesn't need one every nation Kailicha. It needs a thousand. And in order for us to do that, we've got to train and equip pastors. And what do you need to do that? You need a place where you can gather and make that happen. The vision is far greater than just a Sunday worship service. It is not so that the worship team doesn't have to be here at seven and roll up cables. No, it is so that we have a place to equip people. It's a place where we could do pastoral care because there's a community out there that's hurting and they need to know that there's a place they can go to and there's pastors and there's a pastoral team that can pray with them and minister to them. We've got to have a place for our youth that flourishes with coffee shops and vibes and everything they need. We've got to need a place where we can run prayer continuously there's so much in the vision 
And I'm saying, God, if you've given us this vision and for so long we've carried on and you provide anything, what is the problem? Where are we missing out? Maybe we're just looking at the wrong number because we try to keep in this limited budget we have as a church. But maybe if we as a church break the general code, and I'll shock you in a moment with the general code. Maybe if we break the general code, we can actually find a building because we can afford it. And I'm not talking about hundreds and thousands of rand. I'm talking about the rent of four medium homes in Somerset West would be enough for us to find a building that we can rent. We don't have to own it. But here's what I want to say. It's been proven and it's been studied, and here is the statistic. Even in the most generous churches around the world, only 5 to 7% of people tithe. Now I'm asking, how are we stewarding? How are we stewarding? Is Jesus going to come back? Remember, this is an end-time message. And we're going to say, God, I was faithful with the money you gave me. I understood your principles and your word. It's a principle that existed way before the law. It's not about the law, friends. It's about a love relationship with God. And God, the least I can do is I can try and give you 10% to honor you as the one who gives me the gift to make money. But 5 to 7% of the church, globally, that's the number that tithes. Giving goes up to about 30% of people at least give to church, but that's still a lack of 70%. So the question I want to ask again is, if it's not growing the way it's wanted and the vision is not being fulfilled, is it not that God's providing or is it perhaps that the church has neglected to steward the gift of finances correctly? We've got examples in the Bible. In Exodus 34, they built the tabernacle. And then Moses said, please stop the people from giving because we've got more than enough. Man, I pray for such a day. Please stop the people, guys. Close the bank account. Change it. They can't give any more money because there's more than enough. And then the question comes to mind, okay, but maybe unique season and time, maybe unique economy, maybe. I'm like, we always have a reason to say why that happened there and it can't happen today. I look at the principles of the word. I'm like, the story and the pattern shows that this is part of God's design. We get to the New Testament church in Acts chapter 4. And what do they do? When they've got two properties, they sell one and they bring the money of the one that they sold to the church. And if they lie about it, the Holy Spirit doesn't like it that much, so you might end up dying. But what they did, you can go and read. It's in the Bible. But what they did is they gave because they knew that in this house, there should be enough for this to be established. You know what we do? We think church should be able to survive on that. That's enough. The budget's working. And guys, I'm not here trying to get a bigger salary. Because even in that, we've been so faithful, and the financial committee can vouch for that, to be as lean as we can with our salaries. It's so lean that Henry's not here this weekend because he's trying out his brand new Range Rover for the weekend. It's a joke, by the way. It's not a Range Rover. It's a new Fortuner. Sorry, it's also a joke. It's a Hilux Bucky. Still a joke. The staff and our team are here because they're called. Not because they get paid massive salaries. It's a response to God's call. And like many of us in this room, they've got to find a second means of income to make it happen. So that's not what I'm after. I'm not asking, and it's not me asking, let's hear what the Holy Spirit says, but I'm not asking for provision so that that happens, what is the purpose then? Why do we 
Why do we trust God? And what would we do if we actually multiplied a tithe by three times and say 21% of people tithe? What would we actually do with that money? Well, here's a little list of things we'll do. We'll give just as much as we do and maybe more. About 27% of what we get from you guys, we give away. It doesn't happen anywhere, anything in this room. doesn't go to salaries, none of that. It's just given away to other works of the ministry. So we'll maybe increase that to 40%. Imagine a church giving away 40% of its income to other works of ministry. Wouldn't that be beautiful? What we'll do is we'll see more leaders raised and churches planted in the rural parts of our nation. What we'll see is that we won't just give them a measly little, hey, here's a few thousand rand to get through the month. We'll actually be able to take care of leaders who lay down their lives for their communities in places where there's nothing. This is what I'm talking about. It's about expanding the vision that God has given us because we are faithful with our resources. We might actually think a little bit broader in our budget for the building that could best serve the vision that God has given us and not just fit within the budget. Because we've been knocking on so many doors. This week we knocked on three doors. And the one was quite bizarre. Because when I saw it, I'm like, Lord Jesus, that would be amazing. The guy that listed it says, I don't know about the listing. And then someone who's also helping us look for a building, drive post, uh, past the place and says, yeah, there's a new company already moving in. We missed it with a few days. I'm like, okay, Lord, we'll knock on every door, even if it's 400 doors. But you've got a place for us. Now, I know there are reasons why our giving adapts in time. But I want to read you an encouraging story from Scripture. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 5. Paul writes to the church in Corinth about the church in Macedonia, and he writes this. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done. Who has done it? God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. Man, what would people look like if we were there? Very poor, but abundant joy. You can ask Anthony, when we walk the streets of the Eastern Cape rural parts, that's the story. Abundant joy. They are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. It didn't just pause in their joy. They actually moved it forward into generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but they gave far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. A people begging to be able to give. They even did more than what we had hoped for. Guys, there is a success story. It's possible. It was possible then. I believe it's possible today. If we would listen to these words of Jesus, say, Jesus, you are coming back. And the only thing that's going to stand is your house. But oh boy, do we love playing Jenga when it comes to the church budget and try and get it as lean as we possibly can so that we can just get through the month and not worry. And one day we might just find it crumble. My heart breaks when I know about a church community that had to close its doors because the people stopped giving, playing Jenga with the house of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7. Since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, church, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. It is by grace that we get, and it's by grace that we share. It's all the story of grace.
When last did you pause to ask the Holy Spirit about your budget? When last did you say, okay, Holy Spirit, here I am? It looks scary. Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow, but what you'll eat away. But first seek the kingdom. Your Father in heaven knows that you need these things. We cry out today and we want to see miracles. Maybe we don't because we don't live in miracle ground. We've given up to live in a place where our faith is so stewarded by his truth and his words and by what Jesus said that we'd be generous beyond our means. Who knew what week this was? It was the end of the month week. Anyone feel the pinch? This week I was challenged. I was faced with a man that needed the finances for his family because someone in the family has passed away. And I knew that we were already not going to make it. And then I'm like, man, I'm just going to make a plan. And the little last bit that I could get my hands on, I managed to do and I gave it away. And God has got us through the week by his grace. It was a miracle story. Can we live on miracle ground and trust him? So not only the grace to take the gifts in the spirit that he's given us and use it, not only the grace to take the finances he's given us and use it to build his church, but lastly, there's a grace-given community to serve. He has, by his grace, given us each other as a community, and he's given us the community out there, and we are called as servants. The word Jesus used in the parable was the word servants. We are servants, and this, I believe, is a Jesus disposition. The way Jesus carried himself was as a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So the best way, and one of the best ways we could be like Jesus is to adopt this idea that we are here to serve. We are here to serve one another. We are here to serve his church, his vision. We are here to serve the community out there. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says it like this. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There it is again. It's a form of his grace. The gifts, the finances, it's all forms that we steward, so that we, without grumbling, ooh, I quickly grumble, I do confess, without grumbling, use it to serve one another. Luke 22, the words of Jesus, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. Friends, not in my kingdom, Jesus said, not in my house, not around my table, for I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus said, in my house, servanthood is at the end of the day. And it's a grace to be able to serve one another. So three thoughts as I conclude. Steward, share, and serve. That's how we build with his grace. We have received everything we need. How do we steward? Take your gift, take it up, and make it work. If there's a place within church for you to express that, go speak to the leaders that you can see that's leading those parts. We've got a beautiful, powerful pastoral team leading all our pastoral expressions. We've got a worship team. We've got kids' church that just needs people that can serve. You don't have to be a brilliant speaker or a teacher. 
You can just go and serve. Our youth need people to come help and serve. We need people to serve in things like design and photos. There's a prophetic space that you can serve in. Your gift has a place where you can go and serve. It's up to you to take that responsibility. I'm not going to do this sign-up form thing this year. Because <laughs> we've done that before, and you know what? The retention rate is about 30%. I want you to follow Jesus, know what he's given you, and use that gift. We've got a man in this room who's, one of his gifts is hospitality through baking cakes. Anyone been blessed by a cake from Al before? You know how amazing that is? No one told him, you know what, Al, sure, the church would really do well with some cake, cake baking. Can you start a cake baking ministry for us? He just said, how can I bless people? And you know, now every time we received some of that cake, it was ministry. It was exhortation. It was encouragement. So steward, how do we share our resources? Well, we give. We give online. That's how we do it in this church. Uh, you can wire money. EFT, sound like an American. Wire money. You can EFT. Uh, our bank details are often being shared um, in fact, we could put it up now. If you don't have it, you can snap scan. We even do hashtag Farmgate. If you've got some dollars lying around, we'll take that off your hands so we can make good use of that. <laughs> so give. Give of your resources to help build the work that God has for us in this community, to help build the churches in the Eastern Cape, to help build Kailicha, to help build Zola and the work that they do there. If you haven't put your feet there yet, please go and visit Every Nation Zola. You need to see what we are a part of. You need to see what your resources are already doing. And then serve. Find an opportunity every day to outserve someone else. Within this church, within your community, let's be people who carries the disposition of Jesus in this world. And here's how I want to end. Unlike the story on Netflix, Jesus is not interested in an instant home. He has been faithfully, for 2,000 years, given his church what she needs to continue growing. And it's grown, and it's grown, and it's grown, and the gates of hell has been pushed down, and it's grown, and it's grown. And again, I put my confidence this morning, not in you guys, I put it in Jesus. I don't leave you saying, oh, I hope that was a good pitch. Let's see if the tithes increase. That's not the goal, my friends. That's not how I want to lead. I want to lead by saying, let Jesus lead your heart. And let your response be to him. So what I want you to do this morning is, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you need to start somewhere, at least. Or if there's anything that you've neglected that you've got to say sorry to. Maybe you've neglected your gift Maybe you've neglected to serve other people, neglected to give, whatever it might be. Or maybe the Holy Spirit will just show to you, you know what, it's time to let that dormant gift that's been resting in you come forward and will you use it for my kingdom. So we take three minutes of quietness and I want you to pray a simple prayer. Just say, Holy Spirit, show me. Is something I need to start today? Or is there something that I need to say sorry to? And I believe he will be faithfully speaking to us in this room.
three graces we've received, the grace of spiritual gifts, the grace of provision, and the grace to serve our community. And maybe as you're sitting there, you realize that you haven't quite played your part. I want to talk about a fourth grace for a minute. The grace that enables us to try again. God is a God of second chances. And there's one thing I want you to leave with here today. Is that it doesn't matter what it's been up until this point. Repent, turn, go back to him, say sorry, start something. But know that that has been dealt with. He takes our records of wrongs, Colossians says, and it's been nailed to the cross. It says in, in the book of Titus, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to our worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this age, which means we will be people who steward, who share, and who serve. So maybe that's the grace you need this morning. Maybe you feel all twisted up on the inside. You're like, God, I've missed this all along. Receive his grace for even that. He's a gracious God that keeps on giving. And it's by his grace that we will grow as a church community. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you that you have bestowed upon us so much. Lord, and like these servants who's been faithful in the parable, we want to be a faithful people for every ability that you've given us. I pray that you'd continue to be the after preacher to our hearts. But Lord, that it wouldn't end there, that Holy Spirit, you will help us to walk in step with you and be faithful in the graces that you have given us and reminded us of about this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes, Al is going to send us out with a poem that he wrote this morning. He's going to practice what I preached. So let's listen to his poem. He's a poet, and he knew it. But let's be encouraged by this as we go out this morning. That was going to be my line. Um, I've been, I thought of a name for a poem a few days ago called The Watchmaker. And I sort of struggled to complete it until this morning. So I wrote the last... Um, I think four or five um, parts of it this morning, but it totally matches the, the message that was given. So <laughs> it's based on you know, my view of uh, if you look at a Swiss watch, every single part working um, perfectly in unison. So as he sat in his chair, a drawing board in front, the watchmaker took a pause and set himself to work. He worked not fast or slow, but with precision and intent, knowing where each line would go, how each need would be met. For each one who drew a cog, or a wheel or nut or bolt, each drawn out in perfection, no part missing, all was lost. His son sat by his right and spoke as each need met. The spirit hovered over, no, no, not one tiny detail left. Only once they had the plan and every piece therein, each unique in its value, did the watchmaker begin. He didn't make me first, then decide what I should do, instill me with what's needed for the gaps they had to fill. He made me for that gap, every facet of myself. I'm created for that place, fitting perfectly in role. My body, mind and soul are outcomes of the need. He saw when drawing out the plan for humanity. I am the perfect me if I do as I was made, 
a cog in their timepiece, uniquely, precisely placed. And without my fitting snug, beside all other parts, holding, turning, clicking, the watch's time is lost. I cannot turn it back, my purpose is today, to be who God created or never find my place. Thank you. If you haven't noticed, God's been speaking. Amen. Be blessed. Have an awesome week. And uh, see you at prayer on Thursday night to pray together.